Hello and welcome to the Friday, July 23rd, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, onward Christian politicians, Woken winning, and Finkenauer for Senate. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And with me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. And good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Amy Rivers, the waterfall, Waterloo Cedar Falls <laughs> courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Not a lot of waterfalls here, but it's still a good day in Waterloo. Thank you. Yeah, those drought conditions are taking their toll, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. And, you know, I kind of like that. It's one of those we combo names now, right? So Waterloo and Cedar Falls, mm-hmm. we just call it Waterfalls. I like that. Waterfalls. Yeah. <laughs> Cedarloo. Uh, and Gazette, Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the Iowa Politics on wherever you find your podcast. First up, onward Christian politicians at what is considered one of the first stops on the long road to Iowa's first in the nation caucuses. A handful of GOP presidential wannabes made their pitches to more than 1,200 people at the Bankley Leaders annual summit last Friday. Although former President Donald Trump didn't make an appearance, he was there in spirit. Mike Pence said serving as Trump's vice president was an honor of a lifetime. And former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that Trump called him his favorite cabinet member. Interestingly, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem didn't mention Trump, but led the congregation in singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. No mention of whether she's adding Trump's likeness to Mount Rushmore. Aaron, uh, you were at the summit, uh, in addition to scoring points with a block of voters who gave near universal support to Trump. It sounded like this was festivus for Christian conservatives as they aired their grievances with President Joe Biden, liberals, woke progressives, the media, and everyone not in their church or or their tent. Um, While we're waiting to know whether Trump will run again, poll at the Conservative Political Action Conference found that 70% supported another Trump candidacy. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis had the support of 21%, and no one else, including Pence, had uh, more than 1%. With Trump out of the race, DeSantis jumps to 68% and 5% for Pompeo and 4% for Donald Trump Jr. Aaron, uh, did you get any sense of who will get the support of the Christian conservatives in 2024? Are they still Trumpistas or there was any signal from any of the speakers or attendees that they're moving on. Yeah, I think what you heard was pretty similar to what we've been hearing from Republican candidates as they make their ways. It wasn't terribly different at this event where you you have them kind of walking that tightrope between, you know, showing their support for President Trump and, and what he did in office while trying to sprinkle in their own personal story so that if Trump doesn't run, they're seen as a, as a, as a possible replacement. Um, but baseline is nobody's moving away from Trump in the, in the Republican Party. As far as these candidates go, you list examples. Mike Pence, you know, obviously talking about serving with the president. So, so it, it, it's clear that Republicans see a need to, to curry favor with those voters that supported Trump four years ago. If he doesn't run, who stands out? I mean, that'll be, as you noted, some poll, early polling shows Ron DeSantis with uh, getting a lot of early attention. But I, I would expect that would change over a lot of time. As more known, uh, you know, <clears throat> Ron DeSantis is kind of benefiting right now from 
um, being in the conservative news coverage eye uh, with the, you know, everything going on in Florida uh, with COVID and his actions there. And, and he's become a uh, kind of a conservative media darling for that. You know, if, if this thing were to get real and, 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 um, and it was clear that Donald Trump was not going to run, I would expect that more candidates will get a look and, and, uh, and, and get consideration from those primary voters. <clears throat> but, but for now it's, 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 it's very much the, the candidates are towing that line and, and, um, and, uh, you know, trying to get their name out of there while also, you know, doing what they can to sound good in, in, in the, in the minds of, of those voters who supported Trump four years ago and, and still would, if he would run again, that, the other thing I would say that the, the, the interesting thing that did not happen was, and we've seen it in other places, was um, any backlash at Mike Pence. That didn't happen here. He has received that because you, you get into the strongest Trump supporters and, and there's, a, there's a significant portion of them who are, who are mad at Mike Pence for not doing more on January 6th, which is a scary thought up in general, but that's the reality out there. And, and um, so he has received backlash at, at, at a public event or two over the, over recent months that, that did not happen. Um, he was greeted, you know, warmly and, and he was welcomed in Iowa. There, there wasn't any, you know, booze or jeers or nobody got up and left or anything like that. So that was no, <laughs> Mike Pence will always have Iowa. That's right. <laughs> And just to show that we're we're not all of one uh, political stripe here in Iowa, the following day, uh, Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement had its annual summer conference, a uh, much different crowd, a much different tone. Rather than bemoaning the loss of their culture, Iowa CCI heard from progressives, including Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders' chief of staff, Misty Rabick, whose message basically was that progressives are winning the moment. Uh, she said that change may not be happening as fast as some progressives would like, but she believes the glass is definitely half full. Uh, she believes that Joe Biden has listened to progressives and is making moves in the right direction, uh, in the direction that folks have been demanding for a long time. Uh, Todd, um, so I guess both of these things can be true, that the, the progressives are winning and the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, it's it's always kind of a, a, a divergent message from Republicans when they're, you know, on the one hand, this is the, the greatest country God has ever created, strong, proud, these colors don't run. But then you get a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress for six months and the whole thing has gone to hell in a handbasket. It's a, it's a socialist hellscape. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, always, I'm always curious to wonder how that, how both those arguments work at the same time but yeah you know pro progressives are are having as she says a moment and uh but you know a lot of stuff has been proposed and, and not a lot of it has been passed uh you did have the big uh america rescue plan act that passed earlier in in, in biden's first couple of months and that was seen as a progressive win but now you know you've got uh, climate change and, and voting rights and and some of these other proposals that are kind of gummed up by the, the the Senate and and you know they're Joe Biden is reluctant it seems to do 
to, to get rid of the filibuster, which is what's blocking that stuff. He's talked about maybe reforming it, but then you've got uh, Senator Cinema and Manchin who don't want to touch it. So as long as the filibuster stays and 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 you know the the balance of power doesn't shift at all. I mean, the progressives are going to be happy with what's been proposed, but not terribly happy that none of it's actually becoming becoming law. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> just, just proposing it has destroyed the country, though. I, I might right. Add, so, <laughs> the mere mention of these yes. Uh, changes. Yes, the mere mention of doing something about climate change uh, is is you know it's destroying the country. But don't mind all the smoke over, right. <laughs> over us right now. That's seriously uh, the Western wild wildfires. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're California and Oregon and Washington are sharing. Uh, resources with it. I'd say the country's doing a pretty good job of, I'd say nature's doing a pretty good job destroying the country all on its own. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need no stinking progressives. That's right. <laughs> we got mother nature. Washington DC is powerless. It's yeah. <laughs> well, at times it, it seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, moving on here, looking for power, I guess. Uh, to no one's surprise, former first district representative, Abby Finkenauer has thrown her proverbial hat into the proverbial ring seeking the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate. Although he hasn't said whether he'll seek an eighth term, uh, Finkenauer or whoever wins the Democratic primary likely will face the Iowa legend Senator Chuck Grassley. In office since 1959, uh, when hardly a one of us was alive, Grassley has never received less than 60 percent of the vote when he ran for re-election. Uh, so Amy, uh, what are the prospects for a one-term member of the House who lost her bid for re-election? I'm just not going to ask if you were alive in 1959, James. I'm just going to skim right over I was, that. I was <laughs> barely. <laughs> there you go. Yes, I was alive. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's interesting because obviously um, the first district is, is, or at least it used to be sort of indicative of Iowa as a whole. You know, you've got your metro areas. You've also got your rural areas. And it was very swingy. Um, it still is swingy. Obviously, Abby had it for a term, <clears throat> lost it to Ashley Henson. There are some that say, you know, this swing is becoming more permanent or at least longer term, where this district is going to be held by Republicans for a while. And that might be the way that Iowa goes. We could also see a swing back. Um, we could easily see um, Grassley lose to a Democrat. Um, for any number of reasons is it likely yeah you know the stats right grassley's not lost um he's not even lost it's not even been close that he's he's even come close to losing um and it's generally because he's sort of been in tune with at least a large section of iowa voters um, he's been able to do that just like harkin was able to do that um a while back you know they they were both able to to sort of tap into that quintessential uh, Iowa voter and whether that's changed or not is, is really going to be here. Now, if he doesn't run, we're having a whole different conversation, right? Cause then we're having the conversation where Finkenauer can beat um, either an unknown Republican or a lesser known Republican um, that hasn't been on that national stage for a while. Um, and I think you still have to go back to can Finkenauer overcome even that, um, you know, she obviously was a one term house representative Um She's very tied to Biden. Um, she endorsed him even in a primary. 
So that's going to be tied to her record. And Iowa did not vote for Biden. So that's a that's an issue for her. Um, you know, it's it's going to depend on a lot of factors. But if it comes down to Grassley and Finkenauer, it's probably good that she got in the race when she did because she has a lot of ground to make up and a lot of um, voters to change minds. In, in her announcement, uh, Finkenauer didn't explicitly make Grassley's age, uh, he's 55 years older than she is, didn't make her his age an issue, but seemed to suggest that he's lost touch with Iowans, become entrenched in Washington, and is more concerned about keeping his office than making change. Uh, in a state where the median age is uh, well older than Finkenauer, will that be a successful strategy, especially coming from someone who even Democrats complained was inaccessible at times? It could. Um, I think it, it really comes down to, yeah, is I don't think it's age, really. It's it's never been a, I mean, uh, he's been old for a little bit. Let's just say that. Like, <laughs> he's been past retirement age now for <laughs> a while, and it really hasn't bothered him. I think, I don't think the country as a whole is bothered by old senators, given how many of them we have, right? I think it's yeah. um, people... Just to some extent, they do appreciate um, a little bit of institutional knowledge. They probably appreciate their standing on these committees. Obviously, he's ranking member in some of them, you know, and and if they know him, they're more likely to vote for a known quantity. We just see that over and over. So I think she's right to not push age because I don't think that's really a, a thing that she wants to push. I think if she's really wanting to push on things, she should be pushing on um you know, his, what he's been voting on, um, the times that he's been out of sync with what Iowans like, lean on that Iowa poll. Um, if you're looking for, you know, reasons to go against Grassley, because he's voted against a lot of the more progressive policies that Iowa say they, Iowans say they support. So I think those would be a lot better factors than that leaning on the age thing. Yeah. To your point about, uh, you know, that people appreciating older senators, uh, uh, 50 senators, half the Senate uh, is older than 65, Wow! including Chuck Grassley. So yeah, he, he's not the oldest. He's like the second oldest, but uh, he's in, he's in good company apparently. <laughs> Who is the oldest by the way? Uh, Diane Feinstein from California. And wow. I think, um, I, actually, I think there are two people who are like a, a year older than Grassley. I can't think of the other one. Hmm. But Tom, um, much of what uh, Fink and I were talked about in her announcement was reminiscent of her campaigns for 2018 and 2020, working families, union jobs, expanding government health care options. That didn't work in 2020. Is it going to work in 2022? Um, you know, that's that's a question. I mean, um, with polls showing that uh, Grassley's approval numbers slipping and people saying that they prefer, prefer that he doesn't run again, is there an opening for Finkenauer or another Democrat to kind of revive support among the shrinking segment of the parties, you know, once diverse electorate, you know, those rural voters and folks in those formerly industrial river communities that were prior to Trump Democratic strongholds? Um, uh, possibly, you know, there might be um, an opening there. The problem is that those working class voters and, you know, those former Democratic strongholds that Finkenauer seems to be angling to win over include union workers, um, excuse me, um, includes union workers um, who have seen shrinking power um, and those areas have seen population loss. Um, and those working class voters and those union workers, again, leaned toward Trump in 2020 and um, lifted Republican Ashley Henson over Finkenauer. And as Amy said, 
you know, um, Finkenauer is closely tied to Biden and uh, Iowa did not go for Biden. Iowa went clearly and pretty strongly um, for Trump. So, you know, I'm not sure that running the same playbook or using the same rhetoric that didn't help her in 2020 is going to be the best strategy. Um, that said, Finkenauer and Democrats have an opportunity to capitalize on Republican opposition, including Grassley's, um, to popular spending measures championed by Democrats aimed at supporting struggling families um, affected by the coronavirus pandemic, you know, including providing temporary monthly uh, payments to millions of U.S. families to help with childcare expenses, you know, where parents may have been forced to cut down on work uh, or give up jobs to take care of children after losing access to childcare during the pandemic. So it does present an opening for Finkenauer to make the argument um, to voters that Democrats and President Biden are working to look out um, for, for everyday Iowans while Grassley and Republicans, you know, continue this um, kind of obstructionist bent um, in, in, in the Senate, um, you know, in, in blocking, you know, these, these popular bipartisan um, proposals, uh, you know, again, whether it be extending um, federal child care tax credits or whether it be, um, you know, Biden's um, family's plan or um, uh, an infrastructure bill. Um, I, I think that there is kind of an opening there, yeah, for Finkenauer and Democrats to, to argue that Republicans are being obstructionists while Democrats, you know, are trying to look out for everyday Iowans. But we'll, I don't know, we'll, we'll see how effective that will be. There, there is some polling that suggests that, um, you know, there may be um, a limit to voters' support for, um, you know, government intervention and federal largest that while, you know, they were supportive of in the early days of the pandemic, maybe, you know, that that support is waning and, and may not be as strong um, today and, and leading to concerns about, you know, with all this spending, you know, what it's doing to the deficit and what it may ultimately mean for, you know, taxpayers in the long run. Yeah, I mean, given the, the pace of the Senate, we don't know when infrastructure week will arrive. Uh, but but it does seem like, you know, if we do see, uh, you know, federal money being pumped into infrastructure programs and pe people are going back to work and they're seeing things happening, that may be an opening for Democrats to say, hey, this is what, you know, we can do. We can put you back to work. Uh, and like you said, and, and talk about how they addressed uh, issues during the pandemic to help people with unemployment benefits with, uh, you know, the American or the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan. Uh, I, I think it still seems like a long shot, but uh, uh, before before we get to that grassley Finkenauer matchup, uh, there looks like there's going to be a Democratic primary. Aaron, um, there's Manning farmer Dave Mulbauer and uh, Glenn Minden or Glenn Hurst of Minden, uh, who has filed papers with the Federal Election Commission uh, for the U.S. Senate. State Auditor Rob Sand has ruled out a Senate bid, but are there others who might get into this race? Maybe I think we're getting close to the field being set, not necessarily because Abby Finkenauer clears the field, but just through attrition and other potential candidates either not running or doing other things. Um, uh, you mentioned Rob Sand, um, JD Scholten isn't running for anything uh, this year, DJ Deshier is looking at governor instead. Um, Cindy Axney, it sounds like she's looking at either running for re-election to the House or for governor. It doesn't sound like she's thinking about the Senate. So we're just kind of running out of 
high-profile Democrats as potential candidates. The one that's still out there um, that we may have hear from eventually here is Mike Franken, uh, who ran for the Senate four or two years ago. Um, it wouldn't be a surprise if he jumps in still. Um, he had a pretty decent campaign and kind of turned some heads kind of coming out of nowhere two years ago, and he could try and build on that uh, and run in another primary. Um, so so we may we may hear him jump into this thing. And then that may be it. That, that, that mm. may be our field at that point. Uh, I was at a Democratic gathering last night, and people were talking about having met with Frank, and uh, he, apparently he's doing some sort of uh, house parties, uh, low-level, small-scale. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we can expect that an announcement from him that it looks like he'll be getting into the race. Todd, uh, Jessica Taylor of the Cook Political Report tweeted uh, that this, uh, uh, that although Axe, or excuse me, although Finkenauer is a credible candidate, the Senate seat is competitive only if Grassley doesn't run, and even then Republicans would be favored. Um, given the response from Republican groups, uh, the response to her announcement, is there any question that Grassley is running, and is this race even a race? Uh no, I don't think there's any question that Grassley's running. Uh, it's, you know, he says his announcement's still coming, but it, yeah, it seemed like everybody expects him to be in. Uh, and, you know, is it a race? I mean, at this point, if all var variables remain constant, you know, no, I don't, I don't think it'll be terribly close. But politics is weird, and uh, it just is, and things happen. And, and you know, Unbeatable, unbeatable candidates do get beat. I remember, you know, Neil Smith, congressman, mm -hmm. was an institution in central Iowa. And, and Greg Gansky came along, little-known surgeon, and he drove a car around that was built the same year that Neil Smith was elected to Congress. That's right. Yeah. And that was, a, that was a clever way for him to sort of make the point that he'd been there long enough. And, and Chuck Grassley's been there for seven terms, and that's, that's a long time. So that, that whole rotate-the-crops argument sort of sometimes finds favor in Iowa, but, but Grassley's an institution and he's a proven vote getter. And uh, he's generally, for, you know, for all those polls that said someone, they, you know, people wanted someone new. I don't think that'll be necessarily reflective in, in your sort of head to head Grassley versus uh, uh, Abby Finkenauer polls. But, you know, she's probably, she's probably going to give him the most competition he's had in a while and she's going to be financed. But I, well financed, but I agree with Tom that if she comes out with sort of a bland, you know, message, you know, working families, you know, all the stuff we usually hear, it's probably not going to turn out any different than it did for her last time or for Teresa Greenfield, or she's got to have some sort of bold, you know, campaign that gets attention, you know, her, her own version of make them squeal, I guess, would be something that would, you know, something that captures the voters' imagination and, and tells them something about her that, you know, hasn't already, isn't already out there. So, yeah, it's, it's a race and, you know, we shouldn't anoint winners this early, but it's, yeah, it's going to be uphill. Mm -hmm. If she, if she drives around a car that was around when Grassley first elected, what would it be? Like a say. Model T or what would that oh, be? She, <laughs> she, could, she could drive one of those sweet, like 59 Cadillacs with the big things on the back. Now that would be, that would, that would get some attention. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking maybe she would hire an Amish uh, driver. <laughs> yeah, <I was> <laughs> yeah. Horse and buggy. Yeah. 
Yeah, or one of those one of those bicycles with the big wheel in front. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. <laughs> now we're being ageist. Yeah. Uh, so we mentioned that uh, State Auditor Rob Sand has ruled out running for the U.S. Senate, but he's out there making the rounds uh, in both his official capacity and uh, in his capacity as uh, um, Demo- the, the person Democrats want to see run for something. And uh, Amy, you caught one of his town hall <laughs> meetings, which was uh, apparently non-political, um, did sound did Sand sound like a guy who's running for something other than re-election? Yes, to me, right? So, like, he's obviously, you know, making the rounds. Um, he pointed out to me that he's done this in years past. He did it in 2019 when he was first elected. He went to all 100 county seats because, remember, Lee has two county seats. And he uh, did it last year as well, although it was virtual, so I'm not sure how you count that. In any case, he's done it every year the past two years that he's been elected. So he's like, well, that's not, you know, an indication. But obviously it's on people's minds, right? So when I went there, the first thing, the first question that he got, you didn't even get to like say hi to everybody or even start a speech. It's when when are you, what are you going to do about Kim Reynolds? You know, when are you going to run for governor? (laughs) And so he's he's definitely getting these questions everywhere he goes. Um, James, you mentioned that, you know, he got it at – the event yesterday that you went to as well. So it's it's definitely on everybody's mind. I think that's going to weigh on him. Um, but he told me, you know, it's it's he really likes what he does at the auditor's office. Um, he feels like he can still make a difference there. Obviously, he has been, you know, needling the governor. So that's the connection that people make that he wants to run against her. But he could keep needling her as auditor. You know, he could keep doing that job and just be a thorn in her side. And if he likes doing that and, and doesn't want to, you know, do anything else at the moment he could still you know i think he would still be fulfilled doing that um on the other hand he is going around and he's asking people you know to to ask him questions and he's he's talking about partisanship and he's talking about um how he doesn't appreciate that we're divided and he doesn't even like political parties and he was an independent before he was democrat and this is all very a general election argument um that that you would make if if you're probably trying to win over a large section of the state to vote for you um, so it's, it's, it's up in the air. I think even maybe for him, I think he could do, he could, he, you could definitely make an argument either way. I think if he doesn't run for governor, it will be a little bit of a surprise. Cause I think a lot of people expect him to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you mentioned, I, I was at a democratic uh, event last night and he spoke, um, uh, for a few minutes and then finished his remarks by saying, I haven't decided what I'm going to do in 2022. So let's just, you know, we don't need any questions on that. First question, of course, was, you know, are you thinking about running for some other office? Um, and he he said, you know, in the future, yes. Um, but then it was interesting. He talked about why he ruled out running for the Senate, and, and that, which I hadn't heard his explanation. He just felt like that he wouldn't be able to do anything. He would have no influence in the Senate. He said, mm-hmm. basically, the Senate is an institution where roughly three people make all the decisions and, and everybody hmm. else is just kind of there taking up space. Um, and he didn't, doesn't want to do that. Uh, it, it was interesting when someone asked him kind of like, what's your biggest disappointment or challenge or what's wrong with state government? Uh, and he paused for a long time and then said, 
can we go off the record? And <laughs> since he was being videotaped, uh, it didn't seem likely. And so he just said, well, I, it, it's too political. I'm not going to answer it here. Um, so clearly he has thoughts about state government uh, that he's not ready to, to share in a public forum yet. Um, but it, it does sort of reinforce the idea that he's thinking about uh, running for governor and has some thoughts about the current governor and her administration being uh, basically an administration for insiders uh, and has lost touch with Iowans, especially uh, a lot of rural Iowans, he said. so Yeah, that was definitely um, his message in Cedar Falls as well. Just yeah. that sort of, and, and he tied that to more of a national thing as well. Like this is happening nationally. It's also happening in Iowa and we need to come back to the middle. And he honestly got challenged on that. I mean, this is a democratic friendly crowd that came out to see him. And they were like, we don't even we don't even know the GOP anymore. Like they become so extreme. And he was like, look, if we adopt open primaries, if we have ranked choice voting, if we will get people to make them get along and that will bring people back from the extreme. So it was a very centrist message. Mm -hmm. Also, things that probably are very unlikely to happen <laughs> as, <laughs> as long as Republicans are controlling the, the levers of state government. <laughs> Unlikely but, to happen, and a message that resonates with voters, we know, are yes. two separate things. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, uh, yes, and, and I mean, people uh, who were there last night definitely want to see him run for governor. So, um, I'm sure he's getting lots of encouragement uh, to do that. And uh, uh, I, I hear from Republicans that they hope he runs uh, because they think that uh, he would be an easy candidate for Kim Reynolds to defeat. Um, I think they probably underestimate Rob Sand, but um, <laughs> hey, I, you know, what do I know? Um, but I think uh, we'll, we'll end it here. Plenty of uh, topics to bring up again in future editions of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Fan mail may be sent to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Johnny on Point will take us out. If you know a band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to Honorable Politics. For Aaron, Tom, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. <laughs>